You might be making some resolutions about food and, and exercise and finances. All those things are important. But listen, your number one priority is relationships. And your number one relationship is your relationship with God. It is that vertical relationship. And so if you're not reaching up, you're not going to be able to reach in and you're not going to be able to reach out. And you're not going to be able to reach your full potential, the full person that God wants you to become. And so this message is really looking into an experience, an experience that happened to Isaiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. But this is one of those experiences that made him great. God made him great when God revealed himself to him. And Isaiah responded in worship to the one and only true God. And it's my prayer that January will be that, that time of transformation, reformation, restoration in your life as you just examine yourself in the light of who God is. And listen, reach just flows out of that. Reach flows out of reaching up to God. And so we're going to look into this life-changing experience where Isaiah is being formed, shaped. Talk about getting in shape. Well, God gets him in shape by giving him a glimpse of the Almighty. This is a, a wonderful worship experience that we're going to look at. I think it's a pattern, a pattern, what every Sunday morning ought to be. And so as you watch this pattern, this threefold pattern, it ought to be the pattern of what we experience as a congregation every Sunday morning. It ought to be not just a Sunday morning experience, but you ought to have this experience daily in your personal walk with the Lord. We are meant to worship every day. We can't just reach up on Sundays at 11. We must reach up every single day and allow God to change our hearts and we need to experience him. Every good thing we see in the, in, in the Old Testament happen was preceded by an encounter with God. The Israelites came out of Egypt. They went directly to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, they saw God up on the mountain. And Moses went up and he visited with God. And, the, God, and Moses came down from this experience with his face aglow and with the law of God. And it, it just challenged the hearts of the people. It said, before you can go into the promised land, you got to meet God. Before you can reach out, you got to meet God. Joshua, before they entered the promised land, if you remember my fall series, they had that time of consecration. They had to reach up and, 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 and focus on the Lord before they could focus in on the land. The disciples were called to go and make disciples of the whole world by the resurrected Jesus. But the resurrected Jesus said, he didn't just say, go boys, go on out there and get them. He said, you go and you wait. You wait until you are clothed with power from on high. He said, there's got to be an experience with the Lord where he fits you for that time. Worship is your life blood spiritually. You must be seeing God daily. And when you see God, you will see yourself in a whole new light. 
And when you see yourself and you see God and God does his work in your life, you are gonna see the mission like you've never seen it before. You're gonna see the opportunity like you've never seen it before. He is gonna press on your heart the great need around you like never before. Be more uh, fired up and ready to reach out than ever before. So together, let's today let God speak to us through this passage to help us reach up, be people who reach up in prayer, reach up in praise. Reach up in worship. Well, let's read this together. You follow along. Isaiah 6, just eight verses. But what an incredible eight verses. Very familiar passage. I just want to just pull out some of the, the key things. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, he had six wings. Each of them had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And, and one called to another, and, and they were just crying out to one another. This happens, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as they shouted to one another, and as God revealed his glory, Isaiah's uh, begin to shake because the foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook at the very voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, this was just the presence of China glory, that glowing glory, and the smoke was always indication of the very presence of God. And so Isaiah is seeing God. He is seeing a representation of God. Now, if you go to the New Testament, it is quoted by the Apostle John as being Jesus, that Isaiah actually sees the manifestation of God himself, Jesus. He is seeing the Lord high and lifted up. Now, watch what happens. The foundations shake, the seraphim shout, and Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost, a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a pool of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in the, and, and taken with tongs from the altar. And in the altar, in the temple, there would have been blood that would have been poured on that, and this would have been fiery, uh, this would have been very hot coals with the presence of blood. And he took the fire and the blood, just like the Holy Spirit in tongues of fire upon those disciples, and just like the blood of Christ cleanses us and forgives us of all sin, he has this fire and this blood touch his lips, and it, it cleanses it, it bears him for service, it alters his life, it changes him. He sees God, then God does what only he can do. He serves Isaiah by grace, and he cleanses Isaiah. He touched his mouth. By the way, what do we know the mouth is directly connected to? The heart. This was symbolic of the fact, the reason he touched his mouth is it was a, it was a heart condition problem. It was a heart issue. And so the, the seraphim touches this and he experiences this, this cleansing. Watch what happens. And I heard the voice 
or verse 7, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. If he had known that song, he'd have probably been singing amazing grace that saved a wretching. That's what it was flowing out of his heart as he experienced forgiveness and the grace of God in that moment. But then watch the next segment of what I believe every service ought to be, every devotion ought to be, every time you enter into the presence of God. I think we enter, we leave it on this note. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, I've got a great person in mind for you, God. Pastor David can do that. <laughs> Here am I. I'm yours. Send me. So he goes into this examination. He was expecting this. He's in the presence of God. And he gets an examination of his heart. He, he sees the exalted God and he leaves a changed man. And that's, that's worship. That's reaching up. That's what needs to happen to us. Got to worship. We've got to reach up to Him. We've got to make that relationship with God our primary, our primary event of every single day. He's deserving of it, isn't He, church? Don't you need it, church? We need it. And so that's our prayer moving forward. Sort of like the, I need prayer for tomorrow. I go back to the second return visit to my annual physical. How many of you get an annual physical? Some of you get, I mean, I don't know why I tend to put it off until December, the worst possible month to get your annual physical. My numbers are always the worst in December, right? Now, those of you under 30 probably don't know what we're talking about, but you go in the, you, you go into the room with the doctor and you see the authority. You see the degrees. And this doctor has this massive control over your life for the moment. You sit up on that table. You sit up on that. Take off your shirt. Take off your shirt. You know, you just, you just fall under the authority of this doctor who you believe knows what they're doing. And then they, they turn internal. And they took a blood sample. Well, I had to go to a place. They took my blood. They've analyzed my blood, and all of y'all have been through this. Now, tomorrow I go back for round two. You go into the doctor, and the internal reveal happens, the big reveal. They open it up and say, here are your numbers, and I have a feeling what it's going to tell me, you know, right? But I go in for that exam, but then, then you never leave that. You have a choice at the end of every single one of these annual physicals. You go in, the doctor reveals themselves, then they unveil and what's going on inside of you, and then they always end with this. You have a choice, Mr. Chauncey. You have a choice of how you're going to live your life to impact your physical health. And she'll give out those choices, or your doctor will give you those different choices. And, and how many of you will walk out of your physical fired up? Now, I'm going to make some changes. Here I am. Listen, every day we ought to enter into the presence of the great physician. 
And he reveals himself in all of his authority, all of his glory. And he says, listen to me, trust me. And in that presence, as we are literally spiritually undressed in the presence of God, and, and Isaiah sees his heart, what his life, what it is, he says, oh no, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. My numbers are terrible. I should die this very moment is basically the strength of that Hebrew phrase. I should die right now in this presence. How am I still alive? Only by the grace of God. And he experiences the grace and forgiveness of God. And then God says, now I have a choice. I, have, I need someone to go for me. This is where, it, where it's leading. It's not just to be healthy. It's to be healthy, to be dangerous in the world, to go out into the world. And he says, who will go for me? And he says, I will. I've been cleansed. I've been made fit. Uh, you have diagnosed me. You've forgiven me. You've given me a new heart. Now I'm going to go for you. That ought to be every single worship event in the presence of God. Do you agree with that? Worship sometimes is so casual for us. So, man, I really like that song. And we want you to like the songs, but more than anything, we want you to love God and see Him for who He is, and the songs just flow out of it. I want to worship you. I will lift my hands. We're not trying to lift your hands. You see that? We want you to see a God. See Him for who He is. And you notice when you see him for who he is, those kind of responses just happen. People sing, people rejoice, people lift their hands. You can go to a ball game and see that happen, right? We want you to be excited and know God for who he is. So notice what changes Isaiah and fits him for the future, helps him become everything God wants him to be. Notice what needs to happen for us as individuals and for us as a church. First of all, Isaiah, real quickly, this outline, Isaiah saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. I want you to see a few attributes of God. If you are not praising God, if you're experiencing God and rejoicing, if you're not being touched by conviction and awe and amazement, then you are not seeing God for who he is. And so just look, we get to step into the vision and this is God, Jesus, high and lifted up. Notice what it says about him. I'm gonna give you a few attributes that hopefully will stick with you. And, and it's important that you know the setting. It says in the year that King Uzziah died. Here's why that's significant. King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. The place was as prosperous and uh, uh, militarily, financially, economically, Israel was at its best it had ever been since Solomon. Uzziah was a very successful king economically. Man, the Dow was going through the roof. Great people were buying houses, interest rates were low. It was a great economic time. The problem was Uzziah. Uzziah was disobedient to the Lord. He disobeyed God. He was struck with leprosy. And he died a leper under the disciplining hand of God. He died in disgrace. Everybody looked up to this king, but even in this prosperity, you know what happens to a prosperous nation. They tend to drift from God. And Israel had drifted from God. Church attendance was down. Morality was down. But prosperity was up and so pr this prophet is grieving the loss of a successful king but grieving the depravity of the nation around them 
any of this sound familiar? So he's, he needs to see it, and we need to see God. We need to reach up and see him and experience him so that he can change us and send us. Notice what God says basically through this vision to Isaiah. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a what? On a throne. Basically, here's the deal. You need to know God is not dead. God is very much alive. Uzziah died, but God didn't. God will never. God is very much alive, and notice where he is sitting. He is sitting on a throne. God is very much still in charge. And when I see him in charge, and I see him alive in this text, this wouldn't have escaped Isaiah, that God is also seated on the throne. Uh, I, I just interpret it this way. God is not worried. He's not pacing. He is seated, confident in his authoritative control over the world. Doesn't Isaiah need to see that? Don't we need to see that? So he sees him seated on the throne. He sees him high and lifted up. God is supreme over everything. There is nothing over God. Everything is under God. Your problems, my problems, all the politicians of the world, all the problems of the world, all of these things are under God. He is high and lifted up, and he is, his glory is filling the earth. God is glorious. He is glorious. The train of his robe filled the temple. I remember when Sarah walked down that aisle. She had a train, right? How many of you brides had a train behind you? You know, and that's beautiful, isn't it? It's glorious. It's also a lot of money, but anyway, it's <laughs> glorious. I would just say yes to their dress. You're fine. Say yes. But anyway, the ladies know that joke. So they carry this train. So the regality and the splendor of God is just made clear to Isaiah. He sees his beauty, his glory. His train fills the temple. He's worthy of praise. Isaiah is just simply undone. But the seraphim just couldn't take it anymore. They saw God on the throne. They see him there in eternity past, in eternity forward. Seraphim see God in his authority and all of his splendor, all of his beauty. They see him, and they can't hold back. They just start shouting to one another, he's holy. He's holy, holy, holy. They can't stop. I don't know how we casually praise the Lord. We must not see it. Isaiah sees the Lord, and he's not a seraphim. Just shout, he's holy, he's holy. What does holy mean? It doesn't mean he's just pure. It doesn't mean he's just good. 
That is such a tiny meaning for holy. It just means he's holy. He's altogether different. He is a cut above everything. There's nothing like him. He is holy. There is none like our God. And we must respond to that and see it and know it. You know, we're all theologians. R.C. Sproul just died a week or so ago. I don't know if you've heard of him. He very much, he wrote a book on the holiness of God that really changed a lot of people's lives. And he said, we're all theologians. Every human being is a theologian. That means you have some idea. You have an idea in your mind about who God is. Is this it right here? We ought to daily be becoming the kind of theologians that know who God is and we grow in our understanding of his. Why? Because when we reach up, he can reach in and transform us. When we see him, he changes us and the community and the nations need us as a church. And so it flows vertically into our hearts and we become undone and he reforms us. He puts us back together uh, new and better, refashions us and then launches us out. And so we're watching this happen with Isaiah. He sees the Lord. Secondly, and this is the second phase of worship. You gotta see yourself. When you have the revelation of God, you understand them. And maybe, maybe, and I think this is how we do it, how, how it happens in our, in our daily walk is if I want to see God, I can go out into nature and I can see all the glorious creative power of God. I can see it in the beauty of, of human beings and, and in love and all the kind of things that are good. You can see attributes in the work of God and the design of creation, but there's no better place to go and experience and see and have God revealed to you than to get into his word. And so you go into his word and he begins to unfold himself before your eyes as a God who's in charge, a God who is holy, a God who is glorious, a God who's loving and faithful and all powerful and everywhere and eternal. And you just become overwhelmed. This God loves me. This God wants to have a relationship with me. This God has invited me into his presence. And that changes you. If it doesn't, you haven't seen it. You must respond. And the first fruit of seeing God is repentance. Woe is me. I'm undone. That you're looking for covering. Help me, God. It's like in the doctor's office. And, you're, and you can just see Isaiah. The foundations of the temple are trembling. The seraphim are shouting. And the smoke is filling the room. And Isaiah looks at himself and says, I'm a filthy rag in the presence of God. How can I survive? Woe is me. I am done. I'm dead. Help me. And a seraphim flies away from the presence and, and his job of singing holy, holy, holy. And he goes, and he goes to the only covering there is for us in the presence of God. If you're experiencing God and rejoicing, if you're not being touched by, by conviction and awe and amazement, then you are not seeing God for who he is. And so just look. We get to step into the vision, and this is God, Jesus, high and lifted up. Notice what it says about him. I'm going to give you a few attributes that hopefully will stick with you 
And, and it's important that you know the setting. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Here's why that's significant. King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. The place was as prosperous and uh, uh, militarily, financially, economically, Israel was at its best it had ever been since Solomon. Uzziah was a very successful king economically. Man, the Dow was going through the roof. Great. People were buying houses. Interest rates are low. It was a great economic time. The problem was Uzziah. Uzziah was disobedient to the Lord. He disobeyed God. He was struck with leprosy, and he died a leper under the disciplining hand of God. He died in disgrace. Everybody looked up to this king, but even in this prosperity, you know what happens to a prosperous nation. They tend to drift from God, and Israel had drifted from God. Church attendance was down. Morality was down, but prosperity was up. And so this prophet is grieving the loss of a successful king, but grieving the depravity of the nation around them. Does any of this sound familiar? So he's, he needs to see it, and we need to see God. We need to reach up and see him and experience him so that he can change us and send us. Notice what God says basically through this vision to Isaiah. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a What? On a throne. Basically, here's the deal. You need to know God is not dead. God is very much alive. Uzziah died, but God didn't. God will never. God is very much alive, and notice where he is sitting. He is sitting on a throne. God is very much still in charge. And when I see him in charge, and I see him alive in this text, this wouldn't have escaped Isaiah, that God is also seated on the throne. Uh, I, I just interpret it this way. God is not worried. He's not pacing. He is seated, confident in his authoritative control over the world. Doesn't Isaiah need to see that? Don't we need to see that? So he sees him. Seated on the throne, he sees him high and lifted up. God is supreme over everything. There is nothing over God. Everything is under God. Your problems, my problems, all the politicians of the world, all the problems of the world, all of these things are under God. He is high and lifted up, and he is, his glory is filling the earth. God is glorious. He is glorious. The train of his robe filled the temple. I remember when Sarah walked down that aisle, she had a train, right? How many of you brides had a train behind you? You know, and that's beautiful, isn't it? It's glorious. It's also a lot of money, but anyway, it's <laughs> glorious. I would just say yes to their dress. You're fine. Say yes. But anyway, the ladies know that joke. So they carry this train. So the regality and the splendor of God is just made clear to Isaiah. He sees his beauty, his glory. His train fills the temple. 
He's worthy of praise. Isaiah is just simply undone. But the seraphim just couldn't take it anymore. They saw God on the throne. They see him there in eternity past, in eternity forward. Seraphim see God in his authority and all of his splendor, all of his beauty. They see him and they can't hold back. They just start shouting to one another, he's holy. He's holy, holy, holy. They can't stop. I don't know how we casually praise the Lord. We must not see it. Isaiah sees the Lord, and he's not a seraphim. Just shout, he's holy, he's holy. What does holy mean? It doesn't mean he's just pure. It doesn't mean he's just good. That is such a tiny meaning for holy. It just means he's holy. He's altogether different. He is a cut above everything. There's nothing like him. He is holy. There is none like our God. And we must respond to that and see it and know it. You know, we're all theologians. R.C. Sproul just died a week or so ago. I don't know if you've heard of him. He very much, he wrote a book on the holiness of God that really changed a lot of people's lives. And he said, we're all theologians. Every human being's a theologian. That means you have some idea. You have an idea in your mind about who God is. Is this it right here? We ought to daily be becoming the kind of theologians that know who God is and we grow in our understanding of his. Why? Because when we reach up, he can reach in and transform us. When we see him, he changes us and the community and the nations need us as a church. And so it flows vertically into our hearts and we become undone and he reforms us. He puts us back together uh, new and better, refashions us and then launches us out. And so we're watching this happen with Isaiah. He sees the Lord. Secondly, and this is the second phase of worship. You've got to see yourself. When you have the revelation of God, you understand them. And maybe, maybe, and I think this is how we do it, how, how it happens in our, in our daily walk is, if I want to see God, I can go out into nature and I can see all the glorious creative power of God. I can see it in the beauty of, of human beings and, and in love and all the kind of things that are good. You can see attributes in the work of God and the design of creation, but there's no better place to go and experience and see and have God revealed to you than to get into his word. And so you go into his word and he begins to unfold himself before your eyes as a God who's in charge, a God who is holy, a God who is glorious, a God who's loving and faithful and all powerful and everywhere and eternal. And you just become overwhelmed. This God loves me. This God wants to have a relationship with me. This God has invited me into his presence. And that changes you. If it doesn't, you haven't seen it. And you must respond. And the first fruit of seeing God is repentance. 
Woe is me. I'm undone. That you're looking for covering. Help me, God. It's like in the doctor's office. And, you're, and you can just see Isaiah. The foundations of the temple are trembling. The seraphim are shouting. And the smoke is filling the room. And Isaiah looks at himself and says, I'm a filthy rag in the presence of God. How can I survive? Woe is me. I am done. I'm dead. Help me. And a seraphim flies away from the presence and and his job of singing holy, holy, holy. And he goes, and he goes to the only covering there is for us in the presence of God. He goes to the place of fiery judgment. He goes to the place where the blood has been applied. He goes and he takes what is to us, a representation of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And he takes the blood and the fire and he touches the uncleanness of Isaiah and he is covered with the righteousness of Christ. And he begins to to feel like he can be in the presence of God. You and I have had God's service in such grace, in such mercy. Once again, once again, if we've been touched with that kind of grace, how can we not worship? How can we not sing? How can we not say amazing grace? It all just pours out of us. I'm not really interested goodness. I'm not a very jump up and down type person. I might jump up and down and shout a little bit tomorrow night if Georgia wins. I might. I might get a little excited during that game. I'll just be honest. All of us have different levels of just physical reaction in times of Encountering God. I'm not telling you you have to do that, but I'm telling you, you meet God, it changes you. That's worship. It changes you. And we need that every day. Look up. Reach up. Reach in. Apply the work of Christ to your life every day. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. The, the command is be continually being filled. You'll be a worshiper. But worship's not over. It's not over even when people are reacting to the revelation of God. Even when people have applied the forgiveness of God Worship is still not over. It wasn't over for Jesus. He loved God. He was God. And in his eternal union with God, the Father and God, the Holy Spirit, God the Son said, well, God the Father said, who will go for me? Who will go? And Jesus, in the ultimate act of worshiping, the Father said, here am I, send me. Aren't you glad Jesus worshiped, that he finished it? His entire life was one act of worshiping and bringing glory to the Father. He prayed, 
he praised, and he finished his work on the cross. And so that is, that is what God deserves, and that is what God, and, and here, isn't this great that God doesn't just give this to us and say, you know, look how great Isaiah is. Why aren't y'all as spiritual as Isaiah? Isaiah had his act together. Why don't y'all have your act, to God, act together? No, listen, Isaiah didn't. God did this for Isaiah. Isaiah was suffering. Isaiah was hurting. Isaiah was in the dumps. Isaiah was wondering what his future looked like. And God gave him a glimpse of who God is, of what, how he could serve Isaiah, and then how Isaiah could serve him. Isaiah saw God, he saw himself. Then he saw the need, and he said, here am I, send me. He surrendered his heart and his life as the final act of worship. Sometimes we sing that song at the end of our worship services. I surrender all. What a great song. No matter what the tune is, that is our response of worship. Are you ready for a new beginning? You ready for a fresh year? Are you hoping God is going to do something in you that when you get to the end of 2018, the end of 2018, you will not be the same person you were today. This won't be the same church that we are today because we will have seen God. We would have seen who we are because of Christ, and we will have reached out in love and obedience and in full surrender. That's my prayer for us. You know, I mentioned the game tomorrow night. College football is awesome to watch. They're just a little more excited than pros, aren't they? You know, and I don't know if Georgia will win. Y'all know I had a son that went to Georgia, graduated. and So I have a little leaning that way. I'm a Gator fan, too. Although I don't know if you can be both. I've been told you can't be both, but I'm trying. But, but I, I just think if you're close to Jesus, you should root for Georgia, at least against Alabama. I mean, really. But I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying I'm judging you or anything, but I am. But anyway, I don't know. But here's, here's what I love about I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I know. And the coaches are already planning. They're planning that locker room speech. Because uh, I love this part of the game. I love when they come tearing out of the end zone, don't you? They get the big banner up there, the cheerleaders and everybody, and here comes, I don't know how, who gets the front. Sometimes it's the coach, man. He just tears through there first, and then he gets outrun by all his players. I, I love that moment where they come tearing out. Of, but did they just come tearing out of there? No, they had a moment inside, didn't they? They had a moment together. A moment where the coach stands up in his authority. He says, here's the plan. Here's who we are. 
We're the Crimson Tide. We're the Gators. We're the Bulldogs. There are people out there watching you. This is the chance. It's been 37 years since you won a championship. Bulldogs, now's your chance. You are destined for this. So he looks up, and he's going to get the team, and I guarantee you I could write a speech for him. Then the coach is going to say, now I want everybody, you're going to have to look inside your own self right now. Everybody look inside. You look deep in your heart. How bad do you want it? I need every single person on this team. If we're going to win the championship, if we're going to fulfill our destiny, reach our potential, if we're going to hold the trophy, every single person is going to have to dig deep, going to have to reach in and find what's there. You all with me? About that time, they start jumping and getting excited. And they are just so pumped up. They've reached up. They've reached in. And then he says, let's go, boys. And here they go. They tear, tear out that. And can you imagine this? Just imagine this tomorrow night that there's a couple of bulldogs that are sitting on, in the locker room. We love when the coach does that. And we are so excited. You guys have a great game. We're going to stay here in the locker room. We love the locker rooms. We love the jumping. We love the excitement. We just sang our fight song. We love it here. We don't want to leave this experience. How do you think the coach would feel? No. That coach would have no mercy. When you reach up and reach in, you are going to run out. You are going to run out to serve the Lord. Amen.